pastoral staff has decided to go through uh, the book of Lamentations by, not verse by verse, but rather theme by theme through the book of Lamentations. And so uh, we're going to be honing in on the last few verses of the book of Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 19 to 22. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forget us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. When we read those verses, it kind of feels like, well, how can we stop reading there? And it, for those of you who were following along in your Bibles, you see that that's where Jeremiah stops as he's writing the book of Lamentations. As he's lamenting, he stops here. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. What a place to end. But do you ever feel like that's where you're at? Like you're supposed to end on a happy note? Like you're supposed to be just so satisfied with the Lord that despite whatever circumstances you're going through or the state of things that are around you, that you should just end with a, and praise the Lord. But Jeremiah doesn't end there. Jeremiah ends with, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? How come, Lord? Why, Lord? How long, Lord, is this going to go on? Are you going to forget us forever? Are you going to remain angry with us forever? He's lamenting. He's lamenting because he has seen the judgment of the Lord on Jerusalem, on God's own people, as they have been unfaithful to him. And he knows, Jeremiah knows, that God is in control. He sees the stuff that's happening and he's going, I know that God is in control over this. I see the enemies coming along, they're, they're coming up, they're ransacking the place. They sieged Jerusalem for 18 months. That's a long siege. Jeremiah watched the people inside Jerusalem being attacked, being scared, running out of food, starving to death. And he's looking at this and he's just crying about what's going on. Crying out to the Lord, ah! because of all that he sees. And in the midst of that, he knows that God is in control. He knows that God is in control. In Lamentations 2, verse 17, it says, The Lord has done what he purposed. 
He carried out His word, which He commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. This didn't happen just because, right? It, it's not like God was up in heaven and then uh, in comes this Babylonian army against Jerusalem and God went, what? How did this happen? It's not like God was taking a nap for a couple of years and came back and went, oh my goodness, they've overrun Jerusalem. I, I guess I napped longer than I should have. I just was not paying attention here. No, Jeremiah knows that God is in control. Jeremiah knows that if the Babylonians are coming and they are wiping out God's people and dragging them off into captivity, into to slavery, to, to go uh, over it to Babylon, he knows God's in control over that. I've talked with people, and this is one of their biggest hang-ups with God. They look at the stuff that happens in their life personally or the pain and suffering that happens around the world and they go, look, either God is in control or God is loving, but he can't be both because look at this. Look at all the pain and suffering in the world. Look at all the pain and suffering in my life. How can you think that God is both loving and in control when all of this happens? Jeremiah knows. Jeremiah knows that God is in control even when there's suffering happening. The Lord has done what he purposed. He carried out his word. He fulfilled his promises. Sometimes we understand. Sometimes in lament, we understand what's going on. We know that these are the consequences of our actions coming back on us. And we're suffering because of that. Sometimes we don't really know what's going on. We don't really know why we're suffering. But either way, we know that God is in control. He's bringing it. He knows how much. And God knows the purposes, which is one of the reasons why we cry out to him. We cry out to him because we know that God is in control. He can do something about it. In Lament, as we're going through this series, we, we say that in Lament, we're going to face the brutal facts and we can complain to God and we must turn to God, but ultimately, we're going to trust in God. In his character and in the future that he has promised us. And so in the midst of this, as, as Jeremiah is looking at what's happening around him and as he's lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem and of God's people, he is yet saying, God, I know that you are in control even now. In fact, Jeremiah knows exactly, in this case, Jeremiah knows exactly what's going on. He's been prophesying about it. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. 
The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. He says, Zion stretches out her hand like a, like a child reaching out for help and no one there to help. Zion stretches out her hand, but there's none to comfort her, none to pick her up in her brokenness, none to, to uh, patch up the wounds and give her a kiss. There's nobody there because why? Because she has rejected the Lord. Which is why Jeremiah says in verse 18, the Lord is in the right, for I've rebelled against his word. The Lord is bringing this judgment and he's in the right to do it because Jerusalem, the, even the priests and the false prophets were going around and looking for foreign gods. They were playing with the Baals and flirting with other uh, foreign deities. They were looking to other things for their hope and for their satisfaction and for their joy. And the prophets the prophet says, Jeremiah is going, hey guys, hey, hello, remember how you are God's people? We need to repent of this wickedness and turn back to him. And the prophets are going, no, it's fine. This is Jerusalem. This is the promised land. We deserve to be here. Whatever we've done, whatever we do, God wouldn't forsake us. God wouldn't drag us off. No, no, if you're going to speak in the name of the Lord, at least be clear, we are the chosen people. We're the chosen people. Don't you remember how armies have come against us before and they just turn away? Because Jerusalem can't be taken. And Jeremiah goes, no, it can And we have sinned over and over and over again, and it's going to fall because the hand of the Lord is turning against his own people. He's going to raise up a foreign army and bring it in, and we are going to fall. It's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because the Lord follows through on his promises. God is in control, and he follows through on his promises. And you know what he had promised? These would be the consequences if his people turned against him. If his people forsook him and sought foreign gods, this would be the consequence. He promised that through Moses. God's true prophets had been warning his people for a long, long time about this. You see, sometimes, sometimes it's very clear what's going on. 
Sometimes we know exactly why the things that are happening to us are happening to us. It doesn't make it any less sad. Jeremiah was no less sad just because he knew what was happening. If I give full vent to my anger and I let my tongue run loose at one of my friends and it destroys a relationship, I would still be sad about that. That I had broken that relationship. But those would be the consequences of the sin, right? The consequences that, that trust that, that we used to have with one another. That openness that we used to have is no longer there because I broke it. That friendship that we had had before, that relationship that we had had where I could go to them, it's gone because I broke it. God's people broke it. They worshipped foreign gods. And God keeps his promises. God is in control and he keeps his promises. Fortunately, not just the judgment of sin, but other promises too. So that in Lamentations chapter 3, in verse 20, Jeremiah says this, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Right here in the middle of the book of Lamentations, as, as Jeremiah is complaining about all that's happening and is going, God, do you see all that is happening here? I know that you are in control and yet all of this is happening to your people and to your place. And then right here in the book of Lamentations, he says, okay, while I'm seeing this, I have to remind myself about who God is. I have to remind myself about the character of the Lord. Because I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not seeing it right now. But I know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is the faithfulness of my God. This is the thing that the people who don't believe in God go, how can you believe that? Look at the circumstances. But we believe in the character of God. Jeremiah believes in the character of God. That God's steadfast love will not end. He does bring just consequences. But also his love is steadfast. And his mercies never come to an end for those who turn to him. And so he says, so therefore it is good for one to wait on the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that we should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
When we find ourselves in this place of pain, in a place of suffering, or we see pain and suffering around us, we put ourselves in this place and we go, okay, I can complain to the Lord, and I'm going to turn to the Lord because the Lord is in control even over this. And I am going to speak to my own mind. I'm going to speak to my own heart like Jeremiah here and remind myself by rehearsing the character of who God is. Great is his faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord does not end. And so he waits. He's crying. He knows why it's happening, but that doesn't take the pain away of watching it happen. And he waits. He says, Lord, I know. I know that even in this, your love does not end but that you are just. In fact, later in that same chapter, in Lamentations 3, uh, 64, he says, You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Yeah, I see the Babylonians coming. I see them executing your justice, God, on your people. But I also know that you're going to turn it back on them for their actions. This is not the end. It feels like the end, but this is not the end. You are going to be just. Even as the enemies of you and the enemies of your people currently, while uh, you are in control, are taking over your people, yet I know that you're going to turn it back on them and that these consequences will come back on them in the future. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 11. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of righteousness. God's in control and he is just. And Jeremiah is lamenting it, and he's going, but God is pouring out his full wrath. He's giving full vent to his wrath. He's poured it out in in hot anger. So that everybody who knows about who God is and never thought that this could happen is amazed that God could let this happen to his people. But this is the just punishment for their sins. The Lord's justice will be poured out 
on his people. And Jeremiah is watching that happen. And in the midst of that, he's going, but Lord, I know, I know there's a future yet. This isn't the end. There's a future that's coming. So the Lord's justice will be poured out, but he also promises a redemptive future. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, in in chapter 31, in the midst of Jeremiah talking about all that's going to happen, he says, and then I'm going to point you way forward. Because in the book of Jeremiah, he had prophesied the fall of Jerusalem. He had prophesied the fall of Israel. He had prophesied and told them, told God's people, look, repent, repent, repent. Okay, now it's too late. Now just give in to the justice of God. And hope in the future, because here's what's going to come. Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah is looking forward to this. He's ending the book of Lamentations in a place of pain and going, Lord, how long? How long will we endure this? How long will we put up with this? How long must we continue to suffer? But he's also prophesied this that's coming. So he looks forward. And he says, look, a new covenant is coming. You broke God's old covenant. You broke it. You were unfaithful. You flirted with the foreign gods. You prostituted yourself out. You have done all the wicked wicked and evil things that you ought not to do. And you have broken his covenant, and so he is sending you away. But there will be a day when he makes a new covenant. And he brings you back, and he will forgive all of your sins and remember your sin no more. That day is coming. We're looking forward to that kind of a future. In fact, Jeremiah didn't get to see that future. He knew it. So that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the calamity, he was hanging on, waiting patiently, quietly, knowing the character of God and knowing the future that God had, prov- had promised, but not yet seeing it. Only expecting it. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's just not here right now. We get to see it. 
we get to look back. We get to look at Jesus who came. Jesus came to fulfill that and usher in the new covenant. He's the one who died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that our iniquities would be remembered no more, so that we could be restored as God's people. Jesus fulfilled that, and we look back at that. And Jesus gives us a promise, too. In John 14, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's promised us a future. We get to be with him. God has not changed. His character has not changed. His steadfast love endures. And his mercies continue to be new every morning. And so we trust in that. But just like Jeremiah knew about the promise that was coming, we also know about the promise that is coming. We can look back at the new covenant that Jeremiah saw in the future. But we have a future that we don't see realized yet either. So there are people that are suffering right now. Things are not as they ought to be right now. And we can complain to the Lord and we can say, how long, Lord, must we put up with this? God, I'm not too happy about this. How long will it be where your people can gather in your name but not be gathered? How long do we have to put up with these? How long before we can have food together? How long before we can smile at one another and appreciate that? How long before we can hug one another? How long? Because we know that the faithful love of God endures and we know about a future that is coming, but it's not here yet. And while we're waiting, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to help us in that place of difficulty. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we're waiting. Sometimes we're waiting, we're waiting more patiently than other times. Sometimes we're crying out in lament. 
Sometimes we're praising in hopeful expectation. But the Holy Spirit helps us in those times of lament and in those times of prayer, reminding us about the character of God and the future that He has promised us. It's coming. You see, when people say, God must either not be in control here or He must not be loving because look at what's going on here, they're missing a key future that we have been promised. If this is our only life, if this is our only experience, you could see how that argument might hold. Yeah, how come we're putting up with this? But this is not the end. The future is yet coming, and it's a glorious future. God has not forgotten us. God has not turned his back. He's not taking a nap. He sees us and he knows, and we give voice to the pains and the sufferings, knowing that this is not the end. In fact, there's something wonderful about the dissatisfaction of the present because it reminds us that this is not our home. It reminds us that this is not where we are going to be. This is not where we are intended to be. We are intended to be in the presence of God. And one day we will be. Perfectly. Without any separation or sin or pain or death. Everything will be made new. Everything will be made right. That day is yet coming, but for now, here we are. Jeremiah was prophesying to the people, and he was saying, Look, we are being dragged into captivity, into a land that is not our own, into a home that is not ours. And a new time is coming where God will restore his people to his place, to his presence. But in the meantime, we need to just wait on him. And so in Jeremiah 29, he talks about this. In verse 4, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Like those Israelites who had been dragged into Babylon and were in a place of captivity, we find ourselves in a place that is not our home. This is not our place. We're not going to be here long term. We're exiles and sojourners here from a foreign land in a weird place. So what are we supposed to do? 
Live here. Live here. In the midst of the pain and the suffering, in the midst of the brokenness, we live here. And we pray for our community. We pray for God's blessing on it. We pray that the the people that surround us would also turn and submit themselves to God. That they would find the hope that we have in a glorious future that has not yet arrived. Because what if it doesn't get better? What if we're stuck with these for a long time? What if we never get to go back to our glory days? One of the things about getting older, I feel like I'm past my glory days and they're just getting further and further away. What if I never get to play pickup basketball again? We wait in this place. And we hope in the character of the Lord and the future that he has promised us. And in the, mid, in the meantime, we proclaim that hope to others. And we pray for our community that it will be blessed. But we keep our eyes fixed on that future. As I was thinking about this lamentations and this place of, of crying and, but trusting in the Lord's character and in his future, I was reminded of the story of David. After he had sinned with Bathsheba and the child was going to be uh, born, but the child was sick. And so David was lamenting, and he was praying, and he was fasting, and he was crying out to the Lord. And when the child died, his servants were afraid to tell him, because they were seeing the way that he was mourning while the child was sick, and they were afraid that he would do himself harm if he knew that the child had died. And this is what happened, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. Oh, sorry, he he got up afterwards and he uh, ate instead, which was not what they were expecting. And when they asked him about this, this is what he said, verse 22. While the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I think that's where we are right now. We do lament. We do petition and intercede on behalf of those we know and love who are suffering. Those who don't have the same future of hope, uh, the same hope for a future that we have. Because who knows, but the Lord might save them. Who knows, but the, the Lord might relent. But ultimately, we trust in the character of God and the future that he provides for us. Lamentations 5. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? 
Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. In times of lament and suffering, we face the hard truths and we can complain to God about what we're experiencing. And we must turn to Him. But ultimately, we're going to trust in His character and in the future that He has promised us. Let's pray. Lord, there are those here today who are in the midst of suffering, who are experiencing pain. Some of them know why that is, because it's the consequences of previous sin. Some of them are suffering in ways that they don't understand and they don't know why. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are suffering relationally, where there is tension and brokenness between them and someone else. Father, I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would be, bring restoration. I pray that you would make them into peacekeepers so that reconciliation might be found. I pray that gospel truths would wait, work their way in so that there might be a hope for a future that doesn't seem apparent now. Father, for those who are in physical pain, I pray that there would be relief. I pray that you would bring healing. I pray, Lord, that until you do, you would give a resolve of patience and enduring, enduring trust in you. Lord, may your strength be sufficient in the moment. Lord, for those who are struggling in other ways, we pray for hope. Not just in the tangible, physical restoration of things in the here and now, but in the confidence that you are in control over all situations. That you can bring or allow that suffering to take place, but you put limits on how much can happen. That you will fill us with your spirit so that we might endure. And that we know that it is only for a time until either you bring us home to you or you bring your glorious home here and restore all things as they ought to be. And so, Father, we cry out and say, how long must we wait? How long must we endure? We do hope in you. 
but also we ask, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.